The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Tonight, the title of our Bible study is Set Free, uh, where Jesus deals specifically with the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, regarding the traditions, not that they were necessarily bad, but traditions that they had they had. Um, taken to heart and were um, actually the issue is that they've placed their traditions on the same level as God's word. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. You know, talking about fasting, I'm okay, um, except when I need to spend time fasting food. I know that's the whole idea, right? Um, And I I can get a little, I can get a little impatient. Picking the words the best way I can because I'm standing up here and you're not. And uh, I was reminded of a story that I heard of a pastor who was he was called to San Francisco and he was uh, asked to speak at a pastor's conference. And so, you know, he traveled out there. He was fortunate enough to, to be able to bring his wife to the to the big city. And uh, on on the last night of the conference, uh, they got onto this uh, onto this bus and they found their way to their seats and. As they were making their way back, uh, the wife had asked her husband a question, and, and nobody else would have noticed it. This is kind of a husband-wife kind of a thing, but the way he answered her was just, a, you know, was just a little bit, had a little bit of tension on it. And they sat down, you know, the bus was going from one stop to the next. And she, just the way a wife can, said, you know, I, I don't know that... I really deserve to be spoken to that way. Now, this is you know, husband and a wife right in the back of a bus. And he turns to her and he says, well, I want you to know that for the last two days, morning, noon, and night, I preached. And he said, and, and today, morning, noon, and night, I preached again. And I, I think I should be allowed to be you know, a little edgy. She, she let time go by, as a wife will, right when you think you're outside the right when you think you're, you made it outside the door, and she turned to him and said, well, I'd like to remind you that I had to listen to every one of those messages. Our passage tonight, if you, if you look at Mark's gospel, and we're going to wrap up chapter 6, um, beginning in verse 53. But just for a minute, I want to mention something that Mark does. Is if you look earlier in the chapter... After Jesus is rejected in his hometown of Nazareth, he has a sense of marvel, of wonder, at the lack of faith of people that he personally knew. These are people from his hometown. It wasn't a large town, maybe a, a good-sized village, but it wasn't a large town. And And yet when he revealed to them his identity as Messiah, rather than welcoming him or accepting him, it says that they brought few people to him to be healed. And it says that he marveled at their their lack of faith. It would be immediately after that, according to 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 the passages, to the chapter, that Jesus would do something very interesting. He would call his 12 disciples apostles, right? He would call them to himself, and then two by two, he would send them in different directions. 
And he would have given him his authority to preach the gospel as something they had watched him do, to anoint with oil and pray for the sick. That is also something they would have had an opportunity to do and to watch and to see him do and how he did it. And he also gave them authority over demons. Again, everything that he asked them to do, they would have had the opportunity to up close and personal to watch him and then maybe even afterwards discuss what had happened. They learned from Jesus and then he sends them out. Yet when we look at the beginning of chapter 7, which will be the second part of our Bible study, I want you to notice verse 1 where it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they began to watch or to study Jesus. And we'll get into this in a moment. Well, it'll be more than a moment, to be honest with you. But we'll get into this eventually. They watched Jesus with a critical eye. And so Mark gives us this picture of the disciples, imperfect men, uh, men who were learning in the process, being trained, mentored, if you will, them being sent out and returning with wonderful, wonderful reports as to what had happened, that they saw people receive Christ, that they saw people delivered from demons, that they saw people healed. Actually, there's a sense of excitement. But then the religious community comes and they come, they come to oppose him. And I think Mark is telling us something. It's, it's, it's something that needs to be thought about is that, that you have authority. You and I have been given authority. Imperfect individuals, right? I'll be the first to raise my hand on that one. But that we have been given the authority to proclaim the gospel, to pray for the sick, and to pray for those and see deliverance for those who are oppressed by evil. But that we are also to expect... In the scriptures, it's from the religious community, but we are also to expect, Mark says by example from Jesus' ministry, opposition. Opposition. And that when you and I experience opposition, it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's probably that you're doing something right. Our passage, again, serves as a contrast Of, his, of the apostles who were sent out to preach and were successful as well as with the religious leaders who came to oppose him from Jerusalem. A part of this group were the Pharisees. This is uh, a group of, of men who were trained. Uh, they were uh, well-versed in the scriptures. But, but the very name tells us something. They were the separate ones. These were those who would not come in contact in, in a marketplace or, or in the courts of the Gentiles. They would not come in contact with other people for fear of being ceremonially, ritually un, rendered unclean. That is, to come in contact with somebody. And, 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 the, and, and when you watch Jesus, it seems like he is being, allows himself to be touched. And, and he reaches out to touch people. That Jesus, if he does anything, he makes himself available to the very people that the Pharisees sought to keep themselves away from. The Pharisees viewed themselves as being closer to God than, than, than anybody else because of their um, being separate. They were committed to enforcing the Mosaic law. This is not a bad thing. 
Another thing they prided themselves in, and we'll see this tonight, was uh, their carefully following Jewish tradition. And although you and I have traditions in our lives, the traditions of the Pharisees and the Jews were quite different. And, and I would even venture to say maybe even alien to us, different to us. But let me give you a little bit of history on the Pharisees. I'm sure some of you already know this. They were a group that likely formed after the Babylonian captivity. Remember the 70 years that the southern kingdom was away in Babylon. And it was during that time and afterwards that they were formed. The group doubled down when Israel was occupied by Greece, and I'll explain why. They themselves wanted Israel to be pure and uncorrupted and undefiled by external or outward influence. This makes sense because one of the reasons that God judged Israel, the southern kingdom, was because of idolatry, actually the northern and the southern kingdom. And so this resonated within them. This was a part of why they existed as a group, was to watch people and to warn people to not fall into idolatry. And when you think about Babylon, again, where, they, where Israel was for 70 years, Babylon was the very source, was the very home of all idolatry that from Babylon would spread around the world. The Greeks, on the other hand, brought their gods with them. It was a part of their culture, and they brought them with them when they conquered the world. You'll also be referenced in, in uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 1 tonight, to scribes. Now, some scribes were Pharisees, but not all Pharisees were scribes. When you hear the word scribe, I want you to think of a lawyer, an attorney, an expert in the law. These are those who, if you and I were living at the time and we weren't sure if we worked in this way on the Sabbath, we would go to a scribe to help us understand whether that was, was lawful or unlawful. The scribes really did help people. And so they were the experts of the law. When you read the Gospels, you will encounter the scribes on a regular basis. It's important to know that Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But he didn't observe the traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees. Over time, tradition became as important as the law to the Jews. And I want you to hear this. They measured an individual or a person's commitment to God based on that person, whether that person observed tradition or not. In fact, Jesus warned them that their traditions had superseded the law. They came to view Jesus as an enemy and someone who needed to be removed because of his position. Okay, before we get into this, there's one other thing. The scribes and the Pharisees with their traditions focused on the outward, on the external. Jesus came to focus on the heart, on what was on the inside of an individual. And we even see this in the Old Testament. I'm going to read to you a, a, a verse tonight from the Old Testament about what God sees. <clears throat> now I'm going to get personal with you. Not too personal. Danny Ramos has convictions. There are things 
since I became a Christian about 45 years ago, there are things I will not do. And there are some things that I do regularly. Some, would you, some of you, if you were around me enough, would say, well, he's a little bit compulsive when he does these things. When it comes to my faith, there are things that I absolutely will not do, and there are things that I do on a regular basis. They're my convictions. They're things that I believe that are right for me. Now, the problem would be is if I came to you and told you because I have this personal conviction about my faith and my conviction about my walk with the Lord, if I were to take that conviction and put, require you to have the same conviction, that would be wrong. That would border on what is oftentimes referred to as legalism. The idea behind legalism, the thing that makes it so wrong, is the idea that if I do this thing, then I will merit or earn salvation. When we approach, when we approach conviction, and, you're, and you have different convictions than I do, we recognize that that conviction is something that we have incorporated into our life, but it doesn't merit favor with God. That we are saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. On the screen, you'll see a quote by John Piper. When he says of the legalist, the legalist is not broken. He is not stunned. He is not blown away by the fact that he is saved by grace and grace alone. So as we get into our Bible study here, the first part will be wrapping up chapter 6. The second part will be where Jesus confronts the hypocrisy of his opponents. He, in a sense, takes the posture of a doctor who's diagnosing symptoms as well as a judge who's rendering a verdict. He uses one of the religious leader's great heroes from the scriptures, the prophet Isaiah. But before we get there, we are going to conclude the last part of chapter 6, where it says in verse 53, where we see Jesus heals the sick. It says, and when they had crossed over, this is the Galilee, they came to the land of the Gennesaret, and they moored to the shore. And when they had gotten out of the boat, the people immediately recognized them and ran about the whole region and began to bring sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that when Jesus sent his disciples, he had, he had fed the multitudes, remember the bread and the fish, and he had sent the disciples away. The multitude had wanted to make Jesus their king. And he sends them away and heads up on top of a mountain where he prays. And he comes down. He sees the disciples are struggling because of the wind and the waves. He comes walking on the water. But initially, he had sent, he had sent the disciples to Bethsaida. That's in verse 45 of chapter 6. But here we find them anchoring some distance away at Gennesaret. And the reason I think this is important to highlight is because sometimes, sometimes in life, storms change our destination. Sometimes circumstances and situations and relationships change our destination. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And I think that one of the things that we see here within Mark's account is that the disciples 
the disciples end up at a different destination than they had intended. Verse 40, 54, excuse me. Verse 54 tells us that once they were on shore, that the people recognized Jesus. The people had heard about Jesus, possibly had even seen him before, but they recognized him. And when they recognize his presence, something happens within them. I think it's rather noble. They recognize him. They know of his reputation, his desire to heal the sick, which I think is something good. Especially when you think about the scribes and the Pharisees who would have nothing to do with common individuals. You have Jesus entering into the lives of individuals. You have Jesus entering into your life and into mine. And their response, the response of the people is they scour the region, that is the general area, finding ill people to bring to him. And Mark, Mark describes in verse 56 the ministry. And whenever he came, that is into the villages, the smaller gatherings of homes, cities, and countryside, they laid the, the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that, the, that they, the sick, might touch the fringe of his garment. And listen to these, these last words in verse 56. And as many as touched it, that is his garment, as many as reached out as he was walking by and grabbed a hold of his garment, they were healed. Jesus and his disciples come into town. The word gets out, and the people come to Jesus. It is known of him that he can heal. It is known of him that he does not consider himself unclean or defiled if he comes in contact with somebody who's sick. I don't know about you, when I, I kind of spent a little time reading this, I, I thought about the woman with the issue of blood. This woman who for 12 years, we're told, had been, had been bleeding. I immediately think about all that she would have lost, her relationship with her family, because anybody that would have come near her or, or, or been touched by her would have been declared unclean. They couldn't worship. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't offer sacrifices. They couldn't enter into a synagogue. The other thing I think is that she would have been put out of her home. She would have been put out of her home. Luke tells us that she spent all of her financial resource going from doctor to doctor to doctor, looking for someone to, for some help, for some relief. And in the end, she had exhausted all of her financial resources. This describes so many people that we know today. And then she hears that Jesus is in Capernaum. And there's this, this enormous crowd that's around him. It has energy, and, and people are yelling and screaming, and I believe demons are manifesting. And there, it says that they're pressing in on Jesus. And she's having this conversation with herself, and it's a conversation that's filled with faith because as she pushes into the crowd, remember 12 years of bleeding, being anemic, weakened, we see her pushing into the back of the crowd, telling herself over and over again, if but I touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. When she touches his garment, she grabs the very fringe of his garment. And it says, Mark tells us, Luke 2, that, that the source of the hemorrhage, hemorrhage dried up at its source. And she knew she was healed. But listen, Jesus knew she had touched him because it was a touch of faith. Listen to me, this is important for you to hear. She touched him by faith 
And he stops and he turns to his disciples and he said, who touched me? And the disciples are going like, who hasn't touched you? Who hasn't yelled for you? Who hasn't reached for you? And Jesus spins around and sees her face in the crowd and he calls her woman. And he tells her that not only is she physically whole, listen to what faith does tonight. We talked last time about faith that was small and faith that was developing and faith that sometimes failed but then got up again. That faith made her whole, but it also made her, allowed her to experience the forgiveness of sins. And for those of you that are here tonight and joining us online, your faith makes you whole. Your faith makes you well. Your faith secures salvation of your eternal soul. Notice the result is, says that as many as touched, that means everybody that touched his garment were made well. What's going on here? So people are brought into the, you know, beside the side of the road. They're brought into the marketplace. And Jesus is, is making his way through. They reach out. And he makes, he allows himself to be touched. He, he reaches, they reach out and they touch his garment. And as they touch it, they're experienced. They're, can you imagine what it was like? People, various diseases and, and, and hopeless situations. It's almost as though a current of hope, a current of power is moving through their presence and each one is touching the garment, but it's not the garment that's making them well. It's the one in whom they have faith in that's making them well. Can you imagine the, the, the people going from, from hopelessness to having hope to realizing hope? how they stand up and how they tell others that Jesus healed me. There's no power in a garment, but there is power in the person of Jesus. Just one thing about the fringe, and I know I probably, of his garment, I've probably told you this when we covered the woman with the issue of blood, but I, but I think there's a point to be made. In Numbers chapter 15, the fringe of a, of a Jewish individual's cloak or garment. I'm going to describe it here in a moment. But it served as what... I use sticky notes. I'm old school. I have bright fluorescent sticky notes. They go all around my computer monitor. If I was at home, I would put them on my refrigerator or on my television. They would need to be where I would see them with clarity. And this is where I put, this is where I put the things that are important. And I write it out, and I put it there, and I write it out, and I put it there. God provided a sticky note for Israel. Numbers chapter 15, verse 37, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, this is God's word. The Lord said, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. And to put a cord of blue on the, ta uh, on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel, it shall be a tassel for you to look at. And this is why, listen, this is why. To remember all the commandments of the Lord. That is, to remember and obey all the commandments of the Lord. And on this day, Jesus put his cloak on. At this day, as Jesus preached, as Jesus delivered people from the power of evil, as Jesus walked through the villages and the marketplaces, 
His cloak flowed behind him. And that blue tassel, that blue fringe, people were reaching out and touching. Listen. And the only one who ever walked the face of this planet and obeyed the law perfectly. That's what the fringe was all about. Remember my law and obey it and live. The only one who ever obeyed the law perfectly is the very same one who would die on the cross for the sins of humanity because humanity could not obey the law perfectly. And so then you and I and my friends, we reach out to touch Jesus by faith because he is the one who died for our sins. He is the one who died for our sins. We begin chapter 7, I've already referenced it, where Jesus deals with the traditions or the customs of the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 1, Jesus confronts hypocrisy. It's a change of scenery to be sure, but it says now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, that is, they heard where Jesus was and they came to be uh, with him, they were accompanied with some of the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem. This is a big deal. This is a delegation of individuals who are sent from Jerusalem, who are sent with authority. Verse 2, it says, And they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And then verse 3 begins a parenthesis in my Bible. It says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they washed. In reality, they would wash and then utter a prayer. Continuing in verse 4, it says, And there are many other traditions that they did not, uh, that they observed, such as the washing of cups and of pots and of copper vessels and dining uh, couches uh, where they would recline. Now, beginning in verse 5, the end of the parentheses, it says, And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? We'll stop there for right now. So every year, I'm going to come up to this maybe in July or in August, depending how the summer goes. I'm going to call my doctor's office, and they're going to schedule me for a physical exam. I liken it into taking your car in for getting serviced. You know, they pop up my hood, they put me on the rack, they lift me up. They, they like for me to first begin to be being weighed, and then my height's measured. I, I, I tell them exactly how high I am, but I think they're expecting me to start shrinking here pretty quick. Then they check my vision. This all takes place with a very stylish gown that they give to me. It, basically, you, you back your way. You know, when you, people are in front, you keep them in front. I'm not going to elaborate on that anymore. I'll scare the younger people here. Blood pressure, I want you to think like the air pressure in your car is checked. They take my temperature. Blood work is scheduled, and then I sit down with the doctor, and he asks me how I'm doing. A gown and the scale simply mean that I leave my appointment with a little more humility than when I arrived. As we work our way through this passage, I want you to think about this. 
This passage in chapter 7 serves as a bit of a spiritual checkup for you and for me. Minus the wardrobe change. You can keep your clothes on. The first thing that this passage asks me, Danny Ramos, is have I made any of my traditions or any of my convictions law? Is there any way in my thinking that when I, you know, that when I regularly do this or don't do that, that it somehow merits favor with God? Because it doesn't. The second thing this passage causes me to wonder is if I've, I've placed any of my favorite doctrines, teachings, above other teachings and doctrines in the Scriptures. What do I mean by that? Do I emphasize one teaching over another, or do I see the land as being, uh, within the pages of Scripture, as being level? For some, I know that's enough, but there's one more thing, and this is important. And this is especially during a time like this where we're fasting and seeking the Lord, is do I look down on another believer because I think I'm closer to God than them? Notice verse 2. The religious leadership watched Jesus' disciples with the intent of finding fault. That is why they're here. They're here, they're present in the scripture because they intend to find something to criticize Jesus for. They are critical. This is key because they'd associate anything wrong with his followers as being wrong with him. They'd associate anything that they could find the disciples doing wrong as something being wrong with Jesus. Verse 2, it says, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. I want you to remember, as, as, as we sit here tonight, religion, by nature, measures performance. It also measures appearance. But God does not. I told you earlier I was going to make reference to the Old Testament. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. This should be on the screen as well. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, this is when Samuel had gone, offered sacrifice at Jesse's home, and, and he was looking at each of his sons, and, 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 and there were those, those young men that came before him that, that looked kingly, looked royal, and, and Samuel in his mind was saying, maybe this is the one, or this is the one, and made his way through all of Jesse's sons, and finally says, isn't there another one? But listen to what the Lord said to Samuel, and again, 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, do not look on his appearance. That would be the appearance of each of the Jesse's sons. Or on the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. Now here's the principle. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord God looks on the heart. You understand when we read this in verse 2 as to what the religious leaders found wrong with Jesus' disciples, that we're not talking about personal hygiene. We're talking about ceremony, ritual. You, you go to Israel today, especially in Jerusalem near the temple, and 
you know, you go in to wash your hands at a sink, you, you, you'll see that there's a, a metal cup there. And, and, and you, you don't want to camp out near a sink in the bathroom. But it's interesting to watch as even today, the hands are washed near, near the Temple Mount. The hands are washed. Again, ritual. Nothing wrong with that. But it's the same idea as what was taking place here. It simply means that the disciples did not follow a prescribed manner of washing. Their hands were clean, but they didn't follow somebody else's tradition. But I think it's a little darker than a matter of opinion over washing hands. Because of the word that's present in verse 2, defiled. Defiled. Some... Not all of the disciples were being judged as being unclean. There was something in the heart of the scribes and the Pharisees that when they saw these men not doing things the way they thought should be done, that they in their minds considered them less than, considered them wrong because they didn't follow their traditions or the traditions of their ancestors, their fathers, their grandfathers that had been handed down. Because of their position in Israel, the Pharisees and the scribes held positions of authority to declare someone defiled. Think about the responsibility connected to that. I want you to think maybe of a spiritual CDC, but their standard was not God's word. Take it one step further. These men had the power to shame another individual because that individual didn't measure up to their standards. They were using the wrong metric, the wrong rule book, and they injured people. They hurt people. Verses 3 and 4, again, are in parentheses. It was probably given to help the Gentile reader understand the context. This scene sets the table for Jesus' response. He anchors his position in one of the most respected prophets of the Old Testament. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, is a record of warnings given to Israel about judgment, impending certain judgment. And Jesus applies Isaiah's prophecies to this religious elite. One more thing. By Jesus using the book of Isaiah, he speaks to it being authoritative. Tradition was not authoritative. Danny's personal convictions are not authoritative. Some churches' ritual, as wonderful as they are, are not authoritative. Or tradition or denomination... Sometimes some of the principles that they hold to are not authoritative. Jesus points to the scripture, which is important for you and I to know because when our society or our culture says you need to do this or you need to believe this or you need to keep quiet about this, we go to the scriptures. We go to what is authoritative in our lives. Sorry if I got a little passionate about that. Verse 6, and he said to them, this is Jesus' words, we're almost done. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? No, Danny, you just told us that Isaiah prophesied 
to Judah in the Old Testament. Jesus is taking from the Old Testament and he's applying a situation to what is taking place before him. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Verse 7, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 8 will be done here. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Now let me address one thing about hypocrisy. When I tell you I'm almost done, I really am. You're not a hypocrite because you sin. You're not a hypocrite because in a moment of weakness you commit a sin. You're human. You're a Christian. I know sometimes people think, well, you know, I'm, I'm so inconsistent in my walk. No, you're human. You're working it out. Hypocrisy within Jesus' terminology here is pretending to be somebody you're not. Wearing a religious mask. When he says in verse 6, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In Matthew 23, we read of seven woes. I'm only going to give you one. Or seven judgments that Jesus made against this religious group. In verse 4, again, Matthew 23 says, They tie heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Their goal of the religious leaders was to make others think that they were close to God when in reality they were not. They pretended to be godly. And yet they had no trouble taking their traditions and placing them upon individuals who didn't have the ability to carry the burden. Verse 7 and 8, Jesus speaks to their worship being vain, invalid, futile. Why? Because their religious activity, their traditions were mechanical. They were rote Habitual repetition without their hearts being directed to God. They were doing everything that they were doing to be seen. They were doing nothing out of their love for God. The Bible does not command ritual washing before eating. However, if someone wants to, that's fine. It's up to them. If, if, If you want to observe a ritual, it's totally up to you. But understand that it doesn't make us right with God. It does not make us better than others. Everything we do, we do as unto the Lord. Equally, we are not to let somebody else place their convictions upon us. Jesus would say, and Jeremiah, or well, Jesus was not against the law, he obeyed it. Jesus was against people putting burdens on others. He invites us to receive him and to be set free. I close with this passage from Jeremiah 31. Where in verse 45 he says, this is God speaking, for I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are listening or watching that there would be an opportunity for them to bear their heart before you and experiencing experience the release of burdens, expectations, religious, 
placed on them by other people, Lord, that there would be a sense of them coming to know your truth, Jesus, who you are, and being released, being set free. That there would be some here tonight, Lord, that would, that would come to the conclusion, because of this story, because of this account, Lord, that Jesus, that you have come to set them free from religious expectations and burdens. And Heavenly Father, I also pray that we would not place our convictions upon another, but that we would with open hand follow you and allow others to follow you in their manner as well. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.